Hello, everyone. In this episode, we look at the impact that new working patterns are having on organizations and cities like London, San Francisco, and Mumbai. And we see how individual life choices can enable organizations to downsize their portfolios. Here we go. Welcome to the Changing the World of Work podcast, where we provide insightful, practical content to untangle and demystify workplace change. I'm Karen Plum, Director at Advanced Workplace Associates, where we combine science with nearly 30 years experience helping organizations change the way they work for the better. Since the COVID-19 pandemic hit in the early part of 2020, people have been talking about the impact on cities. When organizations closed their offices, there was a lot of concern about the local businesses that relied on office workers and commuters for their trade. To some degree, there was a recognition that in times of change, some businesses and services spring up and others decline. It's the natural order of things. But it was probably felt in the early days that things would be like this for a couple of months and then the commuters would return. Some 18 months later, not only have the commuters not returned to previous volumes, but it seems unlikely they will do for the foreseeable future. Changes in patterns of working mean that many people are now spending much more time working away from their office location. They're working from home or another space closer to home. Some have relocated away from the cities that they used to commute to, either permanently or temporarily, and they either work remotely for the same employer or have switched to another company. At AWA, we've been interested in these trends since the pandemic hit. We've been supporting organizations around the world to adapt to the new ways of working that were required by the stay-at-home orders and helping them plan and execute new approaches to take advantage of new opportunities. Earlier this year, a report on the UK economy by PwC forecast that London's population would decline for the first time in the 21st century. Research by the London Assembly had identified the trend of city dwellers to move away from the capital, having re-evaluated their needs and the things that were most important to them. The need for bigger homes, access to green spaces, and a sense of community were things identified as being sought by people looking to relocate from their current London homes. While the London Assembly's most recent research has shown a reduction in the number of people who intend to move out of London, it's clear that there is still a proportion of people that can see the opportunity to get more for their money and to have a better life elsewhere. To put this into perspective, I talked to AWA's Lara Al-Ansari, who recently co-authored a report on the impact of remote working on London's organisations. I started by asking what she'd found out around 41% of the population that lives and works in the inner boroughs of London could do their jobs at a distance, i.e. remotely. So this means around 835,000 people or jobs could move out of the centre of London and into other locations across the UK or even abroad. Wow, that's a big number. How did you come up with it? So in order to arrive at that number, we collected data sets from NOMIS, which is a service created by the Office for National Statistics. The data sets themselves contained the population of people living in inner London in the year of 2020 and their different employment types or categories. What we then did was assign a probability to work remotely to each of these job categories 
based on an understanding of the nature and demands of the employment types. For example, admin and secretarial roles were deemed highly likely to be able to work remotely since their ability to complete their tasks isn't necessarily contingent on location. Whereas those employed within the healthcare sector, for example, doctors or nurses, were deemed less likely to be able to work outside of their main office location because their ability to meet their role demands is more contingent on their presence in their work location. You were looking at roles rather than individual preferences. You, you've looked at the data and understood these are the types of jobs. And so this is, um, this is our assessment of whether or not those could be worked away from the office, right? Precisely, yes. So what does that mean, do you think, for organisations that are based in London? Well, many organisations are now choosing to move to a more flexible way of working, even post-COVID, because the pandemic has shown that working from home is is actually far from detrimental to productivity and long-term business continuity for many sectors. That being said, the office still provides many benefits that are less easily accessible remotely, For example, those serendipitous encounters, water cooler moments, that opportunity to socialize more informally and and build that cohesion. And therefore, many organizations are now opting to move to a hybrid way of working in order to reap both the benefits of home working and office-based working. So just for clarity, Laura, what do you mean by hybrid working? So when we say hybrid working, we mean a way of working which gives people more choice about where they work. So whether that's at the home, in the office, or a mix of both, it essentially allows people to decide their working styles based on needs and desires. Okay. With this type of arrangement, the office space wouldn't necessarily need to cater for as many people, and therefore organizations could downsize in terms of space, costs, and even the number of support staff required to run the building. It also begs the question, what sort of spaces would be available in the workspace? Many organizations we found are opting to swap traditional desk space for collaborative space so that the office becomes a hub for interaction and socialization, whereas the home becomes that place that we undertake focus work or work that requires concentration. With many people across the nation seeing firsthand the benefits of remote working, many people may want to continue working this way. In fact, 41% of people working and living in inner London may want to continue working this way. And so if organizations then revert to pre-COVID ways of working, they may lose out on talent to competitors who do offer more flexible ways of working. Finally, a recent study by AWA found that employees in the UK on average want to work two to three days a week, with those two to three days being Tuesday through to Thursday. This means that potentially on Mondays and Fridays, the office could be quite an empty space. Therefore, organizations need to carefully think through how operations are going to work if they plan to embrace a hybrid work style. So that gives organizations, I guess, a bit of a headache in terms of managing demand in the office. Yeah. And yeah, uh, definitely. and that's something that we're going to come back to in a in a future podcast because it is um, potentially quite a challenge. Although at the moment I guess a lot of organizations aren't bringing people back in in droves or insisting on on people coming back. Yeah. So finally Laura, what do you think this means for London and other UK cities? Is it potentially positive for the UK economy? 
Yeah. At, so at an individual level, more people moving out of inner London and into other areas across the nation uh, may result in a decrease in spending in the center of the capital um, and an increase in spending on local businesses elsewhere, which is in line with Boris Johnson's leveling up agenda. For example, some of the prime lunchtime spots here in the center of London, such as Leon or Eat, they may suffer a little bit whereas other local businesses across the country may see a gradual increase in sales. Additionally, this may have potential implications for transportation in and around London, as fewer people travel into the office every day. Finally, with more organizations shifting to a hybrid way of working post-COVID and consequently downsizing their office spaces, a lot of that previous office space frees up. So there's a potential for that commercial space to be converted into residential space, which would have its own implications on the housing market as demand for housing in inner London decreases while supply increases. Clearly, the research shows a headline number of potential people and roles that could work away from London. This number is subject to lots of different forces, individual, organisational, cultural and societal, but it hints at the opportunities available and the challenge faced by cities in planning for the future. If you'd like to know more, there are links to the London report and the other report Lara mentioned in our show notes. For an organisational perspective, I asked Kerry Smith, London-based Director of People and Organisational Development at the British Heart Foundation, whether they're seeing people moving away from London. We saw a lot of people moving back to family homes or back with their parents, giving up rented accommodation in London in lockdown and moving back in. And that could be to anywhere in the UK. They're not necessarily made a permanent relocation, but they've made temporary arrangements to be out of London. Anecdotally, I do know a number of people who have actually made that permanent move. They have moved to places like the, you know, beautiful places <laughs> across the UK that I get very envious, places like the New Forest or coastal places, places of natural beauty, really. I actually do see it as an opportunity because I feel that if people are able to do that and still deliver what the organisation needs, then we're going to have a happier workforce and they're probably going to stay with us for longer if they're able to have that kind of you know, that flexibility to be able to do the job that they love, the job that they're skilled to do in a new location that's out of London, that's their choice. What impact is this having on the quantity of space that you need in your office? We have used the feedback that we've had through our staff engagement surveys to kind of understand what people are looking for from the future of their workplace what it means for those that have moved away and people that are, con- that are contemplating that as well. We've now just recently launched what our new programme is going to be based on that feedback, which is called Flexibly Connected. And it's Flexibly Connected because we do want to move to a blended way of operating where we are imagining around 80% of our workforce will be on blended contracts, which means they'll be on dual location contracts. So it could be home and London or home and uh, Northampton office or wherever it is they might be based. So we're offering that and we're going to be working through what that means for us. We're doing that right across the UK. 
by doing that, it's enabled us to take an opportunity which rather fortuitously came our way, which is that the uh, building that we currently occupy in London had another smaller space that they were able to suggest to us we might be interested in. So it means that we were able to downsize our office without moving. So we're going to be relocating, but within the same building, which is fantastic. We were on two floors, so it puts us all onto one floor. And as I say, it's a smaller, a smaller space. So it actually gives us a chance to really land and realise the flexibly connected approach that we want to take and showcase it in our biggest office, which is our London office. According to the PwC report mentioned earlier, it seems that cities may also see a decline in the number of graduates that come to work in them. Of course, this could be a chicken and egg situation because graduates, of course, go to where the jobs are. And if the jobs are advertised as having a remote or virtual aspect, then they may not need to relocate in order to take them up. Whether younger people will still want to live in cities for the nightlife, entertainment, easy transport options and other social benefits remains to be seen. The attraction of wide open green spaces may not fulfil all their desires in the same way they would for families, for example. That said, it's clear that it all depends on whether you can afford to live in the city although prices may reduce if demand drops, and what quality of life you have. Here's my colleague Partha on the situation in parts of India. It's largely from the younger generation, mainly because when you are like you know, in your 20s or early 30s, you're still, you're not married maybe. So you're, you're living in a, in a small apartment in Mumbai or, or, or Bangalore with three other mates, you know, there and then, and you've kind of left your family and you, you, you're there because there's a promise of a better life there, of more money and all of that. And they have suddenly realized that, you know, they can actually go back home, save a lot of money, have home food and be generally happy about, you know, and they're actually getting much more money and with too little option to spend. So they're very happy with this quality of life and they want to stay there. The more senior people, because they're more settled, they have kids, they cannot go out because their kids have to go to a certain school and all of that. I think it's not really coming from that section, but coming more from the younger lot. Another example comes from the Bay Area in California, where many of the tech giants are embracing choice and flexibility in where people work. Here's Neda, our market leader in California. San Francisco itself, we all know it's a seven square mile city. It's, it's concentrated. It's very packed. So when people found out through their employers that they have almost a year when they're not going to be back, of course, I want to venture out and be closer to the mountain, be closer to the national parks, closer to the ocean, because, because I can and I don't have to commute into the city or into Silicon Valley three days, five days a week. The other fact, more of the workforce in, in the Bay Area, at least, is millennial and ex-gen which, of course, city brings a different vibrancy to that demographic. That has been the reason why people have been wanting to stay in San Francisco, too. And I don't think that factor is going to go away anywhere. We are hearing Google, Facebook, on giving some level of flexibility to employees, yet expecting employees to come to work at least three, four days a week. So that really doesn't allow people to work from a different state and commute from there or work from a 200 miles away and commute from there. So what we are seeing right now is every workforce's reaction to pandemic and it's temporary. This whole trending of California or Bay Area or anywhere in the world 
is gonna be rebaselined once the organizations or the anchor employers in that respective market end their end of voluntary work from home or bring people back to work. We haven't hit that mark yet. For some companies, that's September 2021. For other companies, it's January 2022. Clearly, this is a complex subject. But as with the opening up of different ways to work, there are many more options and possibilities for the wider aspects of life, individual, family and community. In turn, these will have an impact on climate change as decisions about property portfolios and transport choices are made. Perhaps we'll no longer have to give up or sacrifice things we value for the sake of being near to the office. Hopefully, we'll be the richer for it. Thanks to everyone that contributed in this part of the podcast. You can find their details in our show notes. And now it's time for a quick break, and then we'll hear about how things are progressing in Switzerland, where interestingly, people already tend to live outside the big cities. See you soon. If you're changing the world of work in your organization, we'd love to introduce you to the Advanced Workplace Institute, a membership group dedicated to supporting people tackling the challenges of change. Designed for leaders from the disciplines of HR, corporate real estate, IT, operations and facilities management, we share insights and research, facilitate peer-to-peer discussions on a wide range of topics and support members in their personal and their organizational development. I'm David Smalley. I'd be delighted to invite you to an AWI event as our guest. If you're interested, there are details in our show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back. Now we're going to find out what's going on in Switzerland, and I'm delighted to welcome our senior associate in Geneva, Clark Elliott. Hello, Clark. Hi, Karen. Nice to see you. Good to see you too. So, Clark, can you share with us the main trends that you're seeing in Switzerland at the moment? Are um, offices generally open now? Actually, most offices are still not open in Switzerland, Karen. People are waiting, I think, for the summer to come and go. And people are looking at September, children back to school, and the typical European kind of, we get back to work after the summer holidays. Are they watching what's happening in other countries, or are they very much comfortable with with taking their own path? Oh, I think it's a mix. You know, um, Switzerland has a very high number of international headquarters of some of the the world's largest organizations and a lot of small, medium-sized enterprises too. So you have a mix. And um, there's a big public sector, and especially in Geneva, you have the international community with the United Nations and the NGOs. So, So it's quite a mixed bag. So what sort of trend have you seen in terms of people perhaps feeling comfortable to move away from the big cities with with all of the homeworking that's gone on? I believe it's been quite successful for um, a lot of people based in um, in Switzerland. Well, actually, um, in Switzerland, a lot of people moved away a while ago anyway. There's a great desire to live in villages, to live, you know, people have country houses, people tend to to drive between 30 and 50 minutes 
to be able to live in a village, especially in the Geneva, Lausanne area, in the Zurich area too, there's lots of lovely villages. The cities are rather small and there's lots of villages around all of the major cities. We're very well connected by rail, but people tend to still want to drive and be independent to drive home to the village. Another issue is altitude. We have gray weather, especially in Geneva. And if you live above 600 or 800 meters, you see the sun, you see the Alps, you see the clouds below you. And a lot of people haven't wanted to live in the pea soup. So they have moved away. What we're seeing now is just less commuters. They're working from home. We've confirmed in Switzerland the desire to work from home two or three days a week that we're seeing in other uh, countries, right. holding up for the Swiss and also in the public sector as in the private sector. I was looking at um, a survey that Deloitte did uh, a few months ago, and I think they were a little surprised that the appetite for remote working amongst the younger age groups was quite strong. I think probably about a third of them were expressing this desire to work remotely. The desire to work remotely is very highly connected to flexibility and work-life balance that uh, people got used to during lockdown and during the months and months and months of pandemic. Just like all the other countries, we were expecting things to go back to normal much sooner. And now people who don't want things to go back to normal. I think the statistic I talk about a lot is nearly 70% of, of knowledge workers are ready to change jobs if they don't find flexibility in their current job situation. Some of the big uh, consulting companies talk about this big risk of people just moving with their feet if they're not finding the flexibility they've grown to appreciate. And I think that's something that's also very Swiss, Karen, that um, work-life balance, you know, Switzerland, the lakes, the mountains, countryside, I think we've got more um, walks in the woods per person per kilometers than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. It's really quite quite dense. But we, we live it. And that actually makes me think of two projects I'm doing. Biophilia is showing up in projects. And right. I'm not mm-hmm. surprised by that. Yes. Uh, we hear a lot about the benefits of, of being in nature, don't we? And the positive effect on mental well-being. And that's a Swiss tradition for 150 years already. As soon as railroads were invented, you have people taking the Grand Tour across Europe and going to the Swiss mountains and, yes. and just being in nature. And that's, yeah. that's, that's part of our DNA here. And air quality. <laughs> And the air quality. <laughs> up, in the, up in the mountains. Yeah. I was thinking, actually, about the impact on the expat community. And, of course, if we don't have to move for work, then perhaps there'll be less people relocating to um, other countries in order to take up positions. But I guess from what you're saying, Switzerland seems like a bit of a magnet for, uh, for all sorts of reasons. And people actually do want to be there. Well, people do want to be here. It's always traditionally been a big problem for international relocations. 
people don't want to leave after three years of living in Switzerland. It, it, it's another issue. But today, I mean, Switzerland is a very expensive country to live in. In fact, I know of quite a few people in the financial sector who actually commute. They live in the UK, work in Geneva or in Zurich, and they fly in Tuesday morning, go to work, and fly home Thursday evening after work. And there's an interesting possibility there. It's another kind of a mix, but the, the problem of traveling by air has, has made that model quite questionable. Yes. And I don't know what's going to happen really in September. There will be a very interesting one to look at in terms of carbon footprint. Swiss are extremely sensitive about sustainability. And that is, this, I think, is showing up on the radar. And of course, if people are flying in at the moment, there's still quarantine considerations. So I guess those people that used to fly in and work for the week and then go back to the UK, they've probably been doing none of that in, in the last sort of 15, 16 months. So exactly. I wonder whether that model will change. Yeah, exactly correct. Um, it's anyone's guess. I guess that's it's another reason why people are waiting till September in the traditional back to school, back to work, end of the holidays yes. period. They're, you know, hoping to to get see some clarity. Certainly yeah. the quarantine issue, as you mentioned, is a major factor. Okay. Well, Clark, it's been wonderful uh, hearing your thoughts and getting to know what's going on in Switzerland. I guess the end of the summer is going to be the, the next interesting step. So perhaps we'll come back and, and have a further chat then. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. Looking forward to another chat. And that's it for this episode. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changing the World of Work podcast. Please follow or like the show so you don't miss any of our content. You can find more information on this episode in our show notes, including a link to the AWA website if you'd like to know more about us. Hope to see you next time. Goodbye.